Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, it is good to be back with you. I hope you are having a great week thus far since we talked last. Hopefully you're hanging strong in your homes. And I know I, I'm i sort of settling into all this and, and beginning to see the work that God is doing in and through my life. I was talking with Kim and she mentioned that, man, this has actually been refreshing and, and we've been able to sort of clear our headspace from this normal schedule. Not that we're not still working, but there has been a little more headspace to ask God some really deep questions that we've been wanting to ask and wanting to ponder and process. And so part of this has really been quite refreshing for Kim and I, and I hope you are experiencing the same thing, especially after we were talking last week about in chapter seven of the Gospel of John, we were talking about sort of pressing into the heart of God, that Jesus through this text was calling those who were so caught up in the knowledge and and their qualifications that they were unable to, because of their posture, enter into the heart of God and truly know God. And I know I asked some questions that hopefully guided you into the heart of God, and hopefully you've had a chance to spend some time with him, ask some great questions, whether they were the ones that I laid out for you or your own, and never feel like you always need to take my format. I hopefully am just giving you ideas on how to start that conversation with the Lord, because he is so good to talk to. And I would love today to jump back into John chapter 7 and sort of zoom in on a portion of this text that has really got me thinking and impacted me. And I think it's really crucial. Jesus says some really powerful things. And it's John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39. And there's so much contained in these verses. I'd like to break them down a little bit with you today. So to set some context for this passage of scripture It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day. And remember, they were in the middle of this feast of booths where it was like a big camp out, but they would all, basically all the Jews would gather in Jerusalem near the temple. And they had these different rituals, events, sacrifices throughout the week. But one thing was consistent. One event was very consistent throughout the week in that, the priest would go and draw water and pour it over the altar. And the people of Israel would all recite together this text out of Isaiah 12. And it says this, it's Isaiah 12, verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. 
again, it sort of encompasses the whole idea of why they were joining together, why they were gathering together for this particular festival and feast, that they were coming together to remember what God had done in the midst of the wilderness. And this pouring out over the altar was also coming from the water that Moses drew from the rock. It was remembering that time as well. But there's some crucial words within this text that say, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And at about the same time when they, I I can just imagine this group of people, possibly thousands of people gathered together about to recite this. And on, on the last day, there were there was this other element that that went back to Jericho. I believe the priests walked around the altar seven times to remember Jericho as well and the victory there, that God has victory in that time. And so that's why it's signified as the great day. So they had some other elements a part of this ritual. But um, Jesus standing up in this moment, maybe right after they read this text saying, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus standing up and saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I'm here in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus, it says it's about the Spirit. It says the Spirit has not come yet, but he's calling people to himself, right? That was what his whole ministry was about. He hadn't yet died on the cross until he did, right? And when he did, he defeated sin, he defeated death and rose again. And he, through his work, then the spirit could come and commune with us. In Acts, we see um, the day of Pentecost when the spirit actually came upon the apostles and, and some members of Jesus's family. And so it, that brings us back to verse 37 and Let's just hone in on what Jesus says here. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And so this thirsting, we, we've we seen this before when Jesus was spending time with that woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he, he uses the water as this reference point to minister to her. And he says, If you come to this well every single day, you will continue to be thirsty, but there's a water that I can give you where you will not thirst. And she sort of saw this on a physical level and she pressed into it a little bit and used some deflection tactics as well to sort of beat around what Jesus was really getting at. But he ends up saying, and I can create a wellspring inside of you that produces this living water. And so it's not just this well that you come to, but it's a well inside of you. And so we've seen this idea of thirsting and coming to Jesus before. And I think it's important to differentiate when we see in scripture, this idea of drinking water, it pertains to the spirit, the spirit of God, one of the three persons of God. And when we see washing water, that has to do with the word. 
And so there are those two, as you're navigating scripture, I just wanted to lay that out there, that as as you read, the drinking water portion is the spirit and the washing water refers to the word. As you see these symbols all throughout scripture, these are themes throughout scripture that are laced within. And so the key words within this first portion, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The thirsting portion we see in scripture that that this is something that God does. So we see in Ephesians 2, and really from the fall of man, we see Adam and Eve were created in the purity of creation. He said, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, gave them mission, gave them purpose. He walked with them, and they saw the fullness of who God was in the creation that he created around them and, and them to be a part of. But they still chose to worship themselves and chose themselves over God. And that brought in this selfishness, this sinfulness into the world. And and we see this in Ephesians 2 as we sort of see the mechanics of salvation, which draws us back to that text in Isaiah 12. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. So there's a salvation mechanic here that as we are dead in our sin and our trespasses, our love of ourself. But in that same text in Ephesians 2, it says, but God comes and does this supernatural thing in us. But in the midst of this, we see, let him come to me and drink. So what is the difference between this thirst and coming to me? And I think this piece of scripture is one of those ones that we need to hone in on and understand that there, uh, John MacArthur has this um, sermon that that says the two there are two parallel lines within Scripture that are the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility, or what what some would call free will. That they are parallel lines and they do not intersect, but they both exist. And we see in this text, through the thirst and the coming to Jesus, we see these two parallel lines. I thought that was very insightful and really helpful to me. And so as I look at scripture to confirm the things that this man said, we see that this desire for God does actually come from God himself. It's not something that we stir up in ourselves or we can conjure up in ourselves in any way, shape, or form. We see this in Romans 8, verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this desire for God, this desire for our Father, it comes from the very Spirit of God, that this person of the Spirit of God comes and causes us to cry, Abba, Father. There's a similar text in Galatians that talks about the same thing, that when the Spirit comes in, it causes us to cry, Abba, Father, that we have this desire that is given to us by God. And with that, as he creates the thirst for him in us, when we in our flesh, and I encourage you to go read Romans 17, or not 17, Romans 7, as well as Romans 8, because it shows this great like struggle between our, our flesh and the spirit 
and that the spirit overcomes the flesh. And, and we all have weird thoughts and weird desires and weird things that we want to do that are completely selfish. And that's just a part of our, our fleshly state. But God created us to be humans in his image, that we were created to bear his image. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit sets these things right in us. But there is something that we need to do to participate in that. And it says, let him come. That when we have this desire placed in us, we are then responsible to come to Jesus, to come to him. That in in this call that, that Jesus is making to all these people, he's saying, let those who thirst come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So when we experience this thirst for God, which is by the hearing of the word, hearing the gospel, hearing the good news of Jesus, the spirit is a part of that, placing that thirst in us. And then let him come, that we that we interact in this process in that The word repentance means to turn from our sin, turn from our selfishness, turn from our old ways, and face God and walk in his way. Now, that turning is that responsibility to come to me. And there's an initial turning, but I in my own life am turning constantly. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So as we believe in the work that Christ has done, it's by the hearing of the gospel that that thirst is placed in us by the Spirit of God. Let him come to me. We turn away from our sins and we repent and we walk towards Jesus and we believe in him as our Savior, as our Messiah, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I was asking God as I was meditating on this scripture, I asked the spirit to just bring some clarification and and maybe a little bit of a different perspective on what this means to have our heart flow with rivers of living water out of our hearts. When we believe in him, when we've experienced this thirst, when we've come to, to him, it says, we experience this outpouring. What does this look like? And a lot of times God will speak to me through images or visions. And I've, I think I've been to this mountain before in one of these images because God has spoken to me a number of different times in different situations and, and just some wild situations in my life where I really needed some clarity. God has brought in snow and sort of this mountain scene um, in my heart and in my mind and brought sort of this supernatural peace that we see in Philippians 4 into my heart in moments of panic. And so I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with this mountain. And I closed my eyes and I began to ask God, what what is the meaning of this picture? And he began to show and highlight that this mountain is covered with water, but as the snow melts, it runs out into creeks, it runs out into streams, it runs out into rivers, and of course that proceeds out into oceans. And 
for those of us who know anything about our, the environment around us, life comes from water. We call deserts dead because water is scarce, right? But there is life around water. There's vegetation. There's animals. Like, we all rely on water, and it brings life. And so he gave me this picture explaining out of this living water comes life. And and I think we'd have the tendency to look at the mountain and go, oh, so the mountain is God. The mountain is is God and Jesus there and the spirit flows out. But we see a very different um a very different picture in scripture in that we see that the spirit actually dwells in us and works on us and brings life to us and our our soul and and produces things in us and texts even in the old testament where it's talking about israel and what's going to happen with israel like ezekiel 36 uh, verses 27 where it says and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So we see in the Old Testament, we see this image of the Spirit being placed within us. So God began to develop this this picture in my mind that it, it's not necessarily God that's the mountain, but but he has established us and our hearts as the mountain. This is reaffirmed in texts like 1 Corinthians, as, as Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in verse three, verse, or chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In this, Paul is, is talking about us as those who believe in him, that we are a temple of the spirit of God. Like, let's, let's just think about that for a moment. Take a moment to ponder that. That he has established his dwelling place within us. That he would, like, make a home inside of us. And that from us, these streams and rivers of living water would pour forth from us. And this once again breaks that that mentality that God is sitting somewhere far off in some throne room somewhere away from us and distant from us. His very spirit has made a home in those of us who believe in him. That as we thirst and as we come to him, and believe in in Jesus and the work that he's done, that the Spirit makes a home in us. And this is really amazing stuff, really powerful stuff that could change our whole perspective on life. It says in Romans 8, right before that portion of Scripture that I read earlier about our spirit crying, Abba, Father, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life 
because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. So we see what what the spirit of God is doing in us is producing life. And this brings us to the fruits of the spirit that once again, like the spirit produces these things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, these things that are so helpful in the mission of God, that we would love God, that we would love people and that we would serve the world. And what I gather from these texts is really that this life that flows out of us, this water that flows out of us, that we would become the conduit in which his gospel and his life would touch other people's lives. And this mission, this purpose for our lives does not stop because of this pandemic that's going on. It doesn't stop because there's a sickness in the world and and we're trying to love people by staying at home. There are so many other ways that we can reach out to others and continue to love others, whether it's in our homes or picking up the phone and talking to a friend and encouraging someone. And the wild thing about this is we also see from this spirit, this person of God. Remember, the spirit is not this flowy thing that goes in and out of our bodies and possesses it and repossesses it. No, this is a person of God. And I found the work of Michael Reeves, uh, Delighting in the Trinity, extremely helpful in understanding the three persons of God. He talks about the Holy Spirit as being the go-between person between the Father and the Son and really the way in which the Father and the Son delight in one another. And as that person of God is placed in us, we can delight in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together as one. And in this time that we are in our homes, that we are shut away, it may seem like we have an opportunity to delight in God in a way that maybe we haven't been able to before. We have a way to connect with him. I, I had this thought before this whole COVID-19 thing, before this pandemic, that I was reading a bunch of writing uh, books or whatever it may be from some prominent Christian leaders that were all pointing at this idea. It was either Sabbath rest or, you know, John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, But really, I think there was this wave of literature and just speaking about slowing down and being in the presence of God. And I think God is calling us now as we have been put in this position where we have to slow down, that he's calling us into his heart, into commune with the person of the spirit that he's given us a thirst that we can't quench with Netflix or video games or, you know, filling up our time with whatever we have used as a substitute for our busy schedules. But now is the time for us to 
get to know the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Father, and the person of Jesus Christ, and experience what, what life would be like on the other side knowing him and loving him. I'll close with this. In John 14, the disciples are sort of freaking out about Jesus going to leave because Jesus made some statements. Hey, I'm going to go someplace where you can't go, but it's okay. Um, you'll know the way. And one of the disciples pipes up and says, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And maybe you're familiar with that scripture. Maybe you're not. But he goes on to say that if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. As we pursue and seek pressing into the heart of God, I think we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity and that he's living inside of you, that he's bringing you life day by day, that you're, you're not in a desperate situation internally. If you believe and you trust in Jesus Christ, you have his very spirit living inside of you, bringing life to you in a way that you get to be a river flowing with life. That the people you interact with, you talk to, you share the gospel with, you just love on, that you bring life into their life because God has chosen you to be his temple, to be his dwelling place, and he lives inside of you. This is big stuff. And this may take a few weeks, a few months, a few years to really sink in. But I want to encourage you with that fact that you are a chosen dwelling place of God and he has chosen you, A, to give you life and to love you, but B, to be that source of life for those around you who do not know him already and even those who do, that life flows from you as a child of God, as one who knows him, who loves him, and walks in the way of Jesus. I pray that you guys have a blessed weekend. I love you all. We will talk to you on Tuesday. Looking forward to it.